take your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 11, and as you're doing so, a huge thank you to Pastor Brian Thomas for a wonderful word last week from uh, Luke 15 on the prodigal. That was a great encouragement to me. We had an incredible trip. I'll share a little bit about uh, that with you in the course of the sermon. But we are back from India. We were leading a pastor's conference, 400, 450 pastors and wives and students, and it was a great week. Um, very busy and, and awesome and a nine-and-a-half-hour time difference. So if any of you are feeling weird about one hour, it's time to get over it, okay? We're back. We're ready to roll. And this was this is a great time of the year. First service, people were more on time than they had been in year in a year since last year when the fall, fall back thing happened. I just wish they would leave it alone, man. Give us the longer days and leave it alone. But that's just me. It's all right. So here we go. Uh, Let's continue to pray for Israel. If you want to know more, submit a question through our portal on the app or the website. We have a pastor's Q&A panel talking all about Israel. Now listen, we're not going to get down into the trenches of politics. We're going to talk about the biblical place of Israel, the nation and the people. And we're going to look at what the Bible says. So if you have questions, don't be asking me about political positions, but talk to us, give us your questions, and then later this month we'll be doing that um, Israel Q&A. But let's continue to pray. Many, many innocent people have lost their lives. Many who have um, created problems are also coming to justice and judgment in this. But let's pray for our friends of Israel. Okay, now, uh, let's see. We're in this series Hebrews, an anchor for the soul. And the thing I know is we all need an anchor lest we drift away. Hebrews is saying, fundamentally, do not drift away from Christ. Do not go backwards. You have been shored up with him. And what is that which keeps us connected? Well, we're going to talk a lot about it today. Faith. It is faith that connects us to God. So Hebrews 11.1, come on, y'all say this with me. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Has everybody kind of heard that verse before, something like it? If you've ever heard preachers preaching on Hebrews, they're probably preaching out of chapter 11 because it is by far the most preached and discussed chapter in the book. The thing with Hebrews 11 is, though, You can't fully appreciate it if you haven't done the work to get there. If you don't realize, okay, you guys are in deep persecution. Many of you are staying true to the faith like the forefathers, but some of you are in danger of flip-flopping, of wavering, of going back. And the writer of Hebrews says, don't do it. In chapter 10, we were remembering that Jesus is the real deal. Not your Judaic religious systems. Jesus is the real deal. In fact, Jesus might say, come together. Right now, over me, right? We said, come together. And then we looked at the basics of life. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to spend several weeks in chapter 11. Then we're going to transition to Thanksgiving and Christmas stuff. And it's right there on the horizon. Then in early 24, we're going to finish this book entirely. And then probably transition back to some more of Genesis. I don't know yet. I'm thinking through that a little bit more for 24. I do think there's a lot more meat in Genesis that we haven't gotten to, but let me, let me keep thinking through that and praying through that and looking at the schedule. But for now, the next several weeks, let's focus on this chapter by faith. That phrase occurs over 20 times in Hebrews chapter 11. Let me ask you a general question. Don't give me a churchy answer. If you're not in church, and if you're not thinking about a book of the Bible, what do you think of when you hear chapter 11? 
Don't you think of like bankruptcy, <laughs> financial ruin? They had to file chapter 11. My father, I remember as a businessman, he would be so upset when, uh, when, he, when bankruptcy or t- chapter 11, there were a few other chapters corporations would file, but when there was a chapter 11 thing, because what it meant ultimately for him a lot of times was that he would lose money, that customers would uh, end up not paying or there would be highly reduced th- uh, payment. But I don't want you to think about chapter 11 in that way moving forward. When you hear chapter 11, I want you to think of how spiritually rich we are in Christ. Maybe not a lot of money in your back pocket, maybe not a whole lot in the checking account, but a spiritual richness that supersedes all of the temporal. And so I want us to see how we get there. How are we connected to God? This line, we call this rope, if you will, we call faith. And then how do we stay connected by faith. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word, and I'm going to just do the first seven verses. We'll spend a little bit on verse one, and then we're going to roll quickly through two to seven. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's a very interesting way of writing that. For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. We're going to talk about that again. Ex nihilo creation. Verse 4, by faith. Now we get specific. Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. So Abel still has a testimony to us today. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. You remember Enoch. He walked with God. He pleased God. And then he was no more. He was translated. He did not taste death. And speaking of pleasing God, verse 6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Heavenly Father, what an incredible section of an incredible chapter of an amazing book that we've been walking through for quite some time now. And I pray today that those of us who know Jesus and uh, and try to live our lives by walking by faith, that we would grow closer, that our faith would increase. Like that father of that, that boy that needed delivering who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You've told us that with the faith of a mustard seed, mountains could be moved. And so, God, I pray that for those of us in the family of faith, that would grow today. But for those who may not yet have an expressed faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, like these eight students, like these three others this morning, what a beautiful picture of faith on display. And Lord, for those who don't yet have that faith, may this be the day. They received the gift, the gift of faith, the gift of eternal and abundant life in Christ. May this be their new birthday in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
Okay, guys, be seated. If you have a listening guide, you're going to notice it's got quite a bit on it. And the reason I did that was I wanted to take a few minutes to really unpack what is faith. I mean, we talk about it all the time in the context of Christianity, but what is it? Let's break it apart first with the most common Greek word used and the word we find here a lot, pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, if we anglicize the Greek lettering, P-I-S-T-I-S, pistis. It has that sort of noun form to have faith, but it also has a verbal form, pistuo or pistuoan, and in that form, we would translate it most frequently to believe, to believe. It's the idea of trust and confidence or strong reliance on someone or something. So let me give you some definitions from some people much smarter than me. First, from Ron and Della Proctor, they said this, A, on your notes, faith is choosing to live as though the Bible is true, regardless of circumstances, emotions, or cultural trends. That's a good definition. It's a choice. Faith really is a choice. Are you choosing to live as though the Bible is true, regardless of what's going on around you? Remember what Joshua said. They've entered into the promised land. They're about to take over all of this territory God had been promising for hundreds and hundreds of years. Moses didn't get it done, and so he passed the mantle of leadership to Joshua. And do you remember what he said to the people? Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Are you going to go back on the other side of the river and serve the false gods of the Egyptians, or are you going to serve the true and living God? And what did Joshua declare? But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord, right? We've talked about this. He said, make a choice. Faith is a choice. Much like love is a choice. You say, no, pastor, love is a feeling. Oh, no, my friend, you would be wrong. Love is more than a feeling. More than a, sorry, I won't do that. Love is not just a feeling. Love is a choice. I choose to love my wife. She chooses to love me. You're gonna find this shocking. There are days I'm not quite so lovable. <gasps> she chooses to love me. I know she's saying never, never. It could never be. But she chooses to love me. Let me give you B. True Bible faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. I met a pastor this week. I've known him for a number of years. He's been a pastor in India for about 20 years. And he's similar in age to me, similar in situation with family, but he has many congregations. He goes to village to village to village, about 15 congregations and multiple small groups that he oversees. Two months ago, he was in one of his congregations, the very poor village where they had raised just enough money and labor to build a little hut, a little church hut, a grass structure with a mud floor, and they were gathered in there, packed in for one of their worship services. And about 40 radical Hindus from a neighboring village gathered and came to them, and they pulled the believers out very aggressively. They tore the structure down that they had worked over a year to build. They burned it to the ground. They shaved the heads of about 30 of the gathered believers, and then they took this pastor, who I've known for a while now, and they dragged him out of the village into the woods, and they beat him until the flesh of his back was laid open. And he's telling me all of this. I mean, we're looking man to man and eye to eye. Through the translator, he's expressing what's happened. They beat his head. He still had some scarring. And then they took gasoline. 
And they were about ready to pour it on him. In fact, he had had five Bibles with him. I'm not sure exactly why, unless he'd been passing them out. They took the Bibles and they began to burn the Bibles. And they were about to pour the gasoline on him to burn him in their hatred of Christians. And he said a a tall, a large man, the way he described him was just a large man appeared. No one knew him. And he, he grabbed one of the Bibles that had not been burnt in the fire and he held it up and he said, what you're doing to this man is wrong. Now you gotta remember this is a mob. This is about 40 radical Hindus in a mob. And he said, what you're doing to this man is wrong and you should leave him alone. And the pastor looked at me with all sincerity and he said, I don't know who it was. Maybe an angel from the Lord. And before you might discount that, stick with me in Hebrews. We're going to talk about that concept before the end of the book. But he said, maybe an angel of the Lord. But the radical Hindus were disturbed and got frightened and left before they soaked him in gasoline and burnt him to a crisp. And as he's telling me all of this and telling me about the time he had to spend in the hospital, the recovery, the fact that he's still not walking right, he's badly scarred. He had that one surviving Bible that he took back to the village with those villagers that had now the shaved heads, which is a sign of shame. And he was telling me how much he and they were rejoicing in the fact that they were counted worthy to suffer for the Lord and that they would continue and continue to grow in their worship and move the church forward and see even more people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And this man's telling me all of this, and I'm thinking... Why did I fly all the way over here to try to teach you something? Surely the teacher is in fact the student. And I learned a lot about faith because I don't know that I always am willing to be obedient to the word even with such severe consequences. Jeff, uh, Pastor Jeff prayed something in our first service. He actually prayed, may we never take gathering for granted. That's a good prayer. We have so many things that we are given and so many freedoms that we have that bless us. Sometimes it is, it is hard to remember that true Bible faith does not crumble even under the heaviest weight. In fact, true Bible faith is not blind optimism and it's certainly not believing in spite of evidence. That's called superstition. And I, for one, am not going to lead myself nor my family nor you down a path of superstition. We we are given minds to think well, to reason, to act and respond. In fact, Acts 5.29, Peter and the other apostles told the leaders of the day, the governing and religious leaders, you know what, we're going to obey God. We're not going to obey you. They had seen the risen Savior for themselves. They had seen Christ do the works and the miracles and go to the cross and truly die and truly be buried, but truly rise again. And they were changed men. They weren't those wimps. They weren't weak anymore. They weren't deniers and doubters. They were solid now because the faith they had became sight. And they said, we must obey God, lest it's not real faith. Faith, verse, uh, letter C, faith is living trust. Now, this is important. It is made up both of intellectual assent and active trust. You do not leave your intellect at the door when you come into faith with Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 38, the just shall live by faith. But it's more than intellectual assent. James 2, 19, you believe there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Satan and his cohorts know who Jesus is. 
They know he's the son of God and God the son. And yet it's not enough to know about him. You must bow the knee to him. You must actively obey him and trust him. This is biblical faith. In fact, D, it's just something I've written. I know you've probably heard this before. But faith is belief that impacts behavior. It is belief, proper belief, that leads to proper behavior. So we say orthodoxy that leads to orthopraxy. Let me show you. If I could get one of our facilities uh, fellows. Brett, thank you so much, bud. He's been helping me out. We got this ladder. We originally bought this ladder because I had a big illustration for Boom Bash, and then sort of the NOAA 2.0 event happened, and we've got uh, this great, they needed a new ladder anyway, and I said, well, I've got this ladder at home. I have a 10-foot uh, fiberglass and aluminum ladder that I really like. It's very stable. Not a real fan of heights unless I have a parachute strapped on my back, but I, I don't mind too much working on a 10-foot ladder. Thank you, buddy. But um, I want to talk about this ladder, and I know this ladder. I have the exact model at home, 300-pound Werner ladder, fiberglass sides, aluminum um, struts or strats going through here, the step bars. It's a very stable ladder. It's got a good platform. I'm just double, I love you, man, but I'm just double checking. Um, I could... I could describe this ladder for you. I don't know, some kind of poly up here and it's got the holes in for a little paint bucket. I've painted up on top of mine in the, at the house and done all manner of work. And it's a great ladder. And so we could intellectually agree this is an A-frame ladder, primarily a fiberglass and aluminum A-frame ladder that is, it's got some really nice industrial heavy duty, wait a minute. It's got some nice heavy duty rivets that's an intellectual ascent. I believe this is a ladder, but that is not biblical faith. In fact, the only way to have biblical faith is to acknowledge, yes, this is a ladder, but what must I also do? How about we get it stable first because the, <laughs> the value of your faith is only as good as the object of your faith and your faith must be stable. I'm gonna talk about that in a moment. It's a biblical concept. And so now, what must I do? Of course, I must step out on it. Now, what I told you about the ladder, that's a good ladder. I believe in that ladder. In fact, yep, that's a really good ladder. Let's just see how good it is. Are, is anybody getting nervous yet? Nah, not that high. I'm coming. Hey, we could do the Titanic thing. Come here, Cindy. Okay, so I'm not actually sure. How high can you go on there? Can you go to the next one maybe, one more? No, oh, so my faith is stronger than yours. I'm the one up here. <laughs> Biblical faith happens when we combine intellectual assent and active trust. Some of you know a lot about Jesus. You can describe him even better than some that teach Sunday school, but you've never put your full weight on him. You've never put your life oh, on him. You've never really trusted him. And the reason I trust this ladder was I've tried it, and I've tried it, and I've tried it, and every time it's held me up, every time it's done exactly what it's designed to do. One day, sadly, this ladder will fail. One day it won't be as stable, but imagine one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you can try him, and you can try him, and you can try him, and he will, let's just go up and over, I'm kidding. He. <laughs> will never, ever fail you. But you gotta stop just talking about him. You gotta stop merely describing him. You need to put your entire weight out on him. Thank you, my friend, I appreciate you very much. Now, the reality is, 
That kind of faith is what changes things. That kind of faith, biblical faith, intellectual assent to the facts and living active trust in those facts, that's what matters because watch, watch this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the substance. I want you to listen to that word, substance. Hupostasis. It's one word in Greek. It's made of two separate words. Hupo, under, like hypoglycemic, under. Hupostasis. It's where we get the word stable or stability. So under, stable. So basically what it's saying, just like me repositioning and shaking that ladder, Jesus because of our faith in him, is the perfect foundation. He is the understability. He is the cornerstone, the rock upon which all of our faith is built. It is the substance of things hoped for. And it's not a hope like, ooh, I hope he'll ask me out to go to the movies. Ooh, I hope I win the lottery. It is not that. That is what we might call wishful thinking. Hope in the Bible is an assurance of the future based on the promises of the past. It is an assurance. It is set. It is as good as finished. It is done. I'll show you that at the end of the message. It is the substance of things hoped for based on reality and solid foundational existence and the evidence, evidence of things not seen. And that means with the physical eyes. Evidence is a word in Greek that implies that which has been cross-examined, questioned, tested for validity, brought to proof, placed under great scrutiny, and found to be truth. That's what the Bible says about faith in Christ, that it is the evidence of things hoped for, and it is the, the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. So, It is based, it is a conviction based upon that which is tried and proven. Dr. J. Oswald Sanders, he was the director of the China Inland Mission many years ago, said, faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as the present and the invisible as seen. You see, one day the Bible says our faith will become sight. But in the present, the Bible says we learn to walk by faith and not merely by sight. And this is the reality for all of us through every age and stage of life. We live lives by faith. The question is, is it a theistic, God-centered, or Christocentric faith? Or is it a man-centered, anthropocentric faith? You've got faith. You've got faith. Either you believe, for instance, in the God of the Bible more or a guy named Charles Darwin more. You believe one of those more than the other. And don't act like you can have a hybridized system with one foot in each world. doesn't work that way. That's not real faith. And so what I want to show you here are some things that we get by faith. Now, look, I'm not going to be cute and creative. I'm going to read right out of the text. Number one, by faith we obtain a good testimony. Get that down. We obtain a good testimony. Verse 2, for by it, the elders, by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Now, who are the elders? Well, in the context of Hebrews 11, it simply means all those Old Testament folks, beginning with Adam and Eve, all the way through like the prophet Samuel and King David, the one who brought down the giant with a slingshot and a stone by faith. 
All of those people of old. It doesn't mean elders in the context of like pastors or leaders of a local church. That's not what it means. It means those Old Testament men and women who obtained a good testimony, a good witness, because they lived by faith. And so they received a good standing with God. They were not perfect. All of them. You could just name them. Name them. Abram, Abraham, Sarah, um, Rahab, David, Solomon, all of them had flaws, issues, sin, struggles. And yet the Bible says these elders obtained a good testimony by faith. They changed the world around them by faith. I want that to be said of us. I want people to look at Grace Baptist Church and say that church operates by faith. They do big things, God-sized things by faith. Because Proverbs 22.1 says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. I would rather have the favor of God than the nicest, prettiest stuff that this world could ever afford. I'd rather have Jesus. Y'all remember that old hymn? than anything this world affords today. And the men and women we're gonna see in this journey of Hebrews 11 had a good testimony. You wanna have a good testimony to God? You wanna have a good testimony before the Lord and the watching world? Walk by faith. And I don't mean when it's all great. I don't mean when the checks come in faster than the bills. I don't mean when everybody's healthy, wealthy, and wise. I mean when it's tough. I mean when you get dragged out and whipped and brought to within an inch of the end of your life, then praise God and thank God for his goodness to you. See, it's so hard in those moments to keep a good testimony, but the Bible says by faith we obtain a good testimony. Second, by faith we understand creation and time. Look at verse three. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen We're not made of the things which are visible. Faith points us to an unseen power who made the world we see. The universe involves more than just the physical stuff. It involves all the ages that God planned, beginning with creation, extending to the consummation of all things. And by observing creation, we learn of God's power. We learn that the manner of God's creation comes when we respond by faith. And so We understand that God framed the worlds. Actually, the Greek word there is eons. It's actually the word eons. There's another word for world called cosmos in Greek, but this is the word for where we would get the word eons. It refers to the vast spans of time and space, that God framed them out. One of the things I love about watching buildings go up, my favorite part, particularly just residential or smaller things, but even the big stuff, one of the things that's fun about that is when the framing happens. Any of you that have built anything knows things change rapidly when the framing happens. When things go up, you really get a picture because all of a sudden there's foundation, foundation, foundation. There's all of this work and things under the ground, but then boom, all of a sudden, the frame goes up. If you want to see what that looks like, go to that new neighborhood on West Emory. They're going up by the split second out there. It's insane. And so I'm sorry if you live over there for your traffic, but they're going up. They're going up. And by the, by the word of God, the whole eon, all that we know, eons were framed. 
He is the uncreated creator of time and space, and he did it out of nothing. He says they weren't there before. See, that's the problem with the, the silliness of Darwinian evolutionary theory or Big Bang concepts, the idea that there was this big ball of mass, and then bang. Okay, problem of infinite regress. Where'd that come from? Well, well that was just there. Well, how, why do you believe that? They won't say this by faith. I have to believe it by faith. And then by faith, I have to believe that time, chance, matter, and maybe you sprinkle in a little natural selection, gave me what we have today, from the zoo to you, from primordial sludge to us. Congratulations. I mean, think about how much faith it takes with all of those missing links and what's so funny, because I try to keep my finger on the pulse of academia, how many, even in the highest institutions of learning around the world, how many in this field are backpedaling now? The more we look deeply into just human anatomy, even into the singular cell, the more complexity we see. The expectation in the days of Darwin that things would become simpler, simpler, simpler till we get back to one simple structure. And then from that simple building block of life, everything else would come. That is not what science is finding. In fact, observation proves that things are more and more and more complex. And so basically, folks, we have two primary explanations for the origin of the universe. One is pure speculation, I think, maybe, and that's changing rapidly, even in academia. So they're using phraseologies that are now different. Well, maybe there was some kind of creative intelligence. Maybe there was some kind of intelligent designer. They hate the concept of calling him God, but... There's all of this language that is now changing. But one is pure speculation. The other is divine revelation. It takes faith to go with either, but it takes far less faith, and it's a far straighter shot to believe God did it. Don't buy into the lies of Darwinian evolutionary theory. Nothing left on its own outside of intelligence gets better in time. Nothing. Don't believe me. Have a teenage boy. Don't ever put intelligence into his room and say, son, you just keep it the way you want to keep it. I am telling you, you will see it fall apart quickly. You will see things begin to devolve. The sights and the sounds, and heaven help us worst of all, the smells from a teenage boy's room left without intervention is atrocious. Imagine this world were it not for an intelligent designer, creator, sustainer that keeps it all together. Christ is the cosmic superglue of it all, who holds it all together by the word of his power. Imagine how chaotic it would be, and one day will be, in fact, when it's left to its own. The reality is we can believe in a big bang, right, folks? God spoke it, bang, it happened, and here we are. But if you don't believe in a theistic explanation, then you're just putting your faith in people. You're just putting your faith in science. And here's the crazy thing about that. That target keeps moving. Lucy, the great discovery of the, of the sort of missing link skeleton, that's now been debunked. If you pay attention to these things and you read the things you were falsely taught, some of us, at one time, you will find that this theory goes out and then it's debunked. And this theory goes out and it's debunked. But the good thing about biblical Christianity is the word of God is stable. It is a foundation upon which we can build and you're either gonna go with speculation or revelation. I choose revelation because it aligns with what I see and it aligns with what I know. Now the Bible's not a science book. 
But the Bible is also not a book of myths or fairy tales. And God's word tells us what we need. I make the same um, offer that I have made many times over the past 20 plus years as a senior pastor. And that is this. All of you out there that say the Bible's a myth book. It is full of fairy tales and contradictions. Come, you can speak here. We'll debate. I'll let you go first and last. I want you to know that you are welcome to come anytime you want to come. The truth of the Bible will hold up to any and all scrutiny. It has for thousands of years, and it will continue to hold up. So if you want to believe the pseudo-intellectual that stands up and says, well, I can't believe those myths and fairy tales. Oh, so you choose to believe in the myths and fairy tales of Darwin, who himself didn't believe his own theory. You choose to believe in people rather than God. Okay, but I'm choosing revelation. By faith, we obtain a good testimony. By faith, we understand creation and time. By faith, we please God. Look at four, five, and six. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. And so God testified, and even though he was killed, his life still speaks to us. By faith, Enoch didn't taste death. Y'all remember? He walked with God. His life pleased God, so God simply translated him to heaven. You say, Pastor, how does that work? Man, I don't know. How does God speak everything we see into existence? I don't know. How does God make cows taste so good? I don't know. God, you, you talk to God about that, okay? And if you don't like cow, that's fine. Why does he make your broccoli taste so good? I don't know. But the reality is God does all of this. He sets it all in motion. And so what we find is that these people are pleasing God. In fact, verse 6, without faith. It is impossible to please him. If you come to God, start with who he is. you got to believe he's there. And then from there, that he's a rewarder of all of us who diligently seek after him. We can please God, but we've got to act on our faith, right? Think about this. It was a good summary I came across. Abel. Abel is faith worshiping. He offered a good and acceptable sacrifice to God. Faith worshiping. Enoch is faith walking. The Bible says he walked with God and he was not. Noah was faith working. I believe he had never seen raindrops the way we had. There certainly had not been a flood upon the earth and yet he worked by faith, faith working. And the patriarchs were faith waiting. God said, I'm sending a deliverer. I'm sending a Messiah. I'm sending a chosen one. And so they were looking ahead to Christ and ultimately Calvary. And they were faith waiting. Abel, Enoch, Noah, so many of these in this chapter ahead of us pleased God by faith. Think about this. You cannot please God without walking in the light of his truth and righteousness. Real fellowship with God cannot exist without faith. We believe God exists. Now, listen, as I shared with our brothers uh, Thursday night, I've gone through some struggles of doubt. And I would say to you, if you are a believer and have been a believer long and have never, ever doubted anything about God or faith or the Bible, you probably haven't wrestled with God enough. I believe that sometimes we do have these doubts and how can this be? And oh God, where are you in this? The psalmist had these issues. David, a man after God's own heart, had these issues. Paul had these issues, these struggles, these doubts, these uncertainties. And yet at the end, we'd always come back to but God. 
But God, you are faithful. But God, you are there. God, I don't understand this. Habakkuk, oh Lord, how long? A prophet after God's heart. Oh God, where are you? How long can this keep on? And yet, I will praise him. Yet, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Even if everything crumbles around me, I will walk with him by faith. And so I'm not saying you never doubt, you never, you never think, oh, I don't understand this. But God's not asking for your understanding. He's asking for your faith, which leads to obedience. So let me do a heart check with you just real quick. Does your life really please God? You know the answer to that. What is your level of commitment to your job, your school, your relationship, your boss, your principal, your teachers, etc.? What is your level of commitment to that? Fill in the blank. Does your commitment to God equal or hopefully exceed that? Or is your walk with God, your walk, I didn't say with the church, although that's a part of it. But is your walk with God, is your faith secondary? You know the answer to this. Or is it primary? Are you as close to God Almighty as you've ever been? Or could it be there was a season of life where you were closer? Now, which of the two of you moved? Does your life at present please God? I believe consistency pleases God. Right belief leads to right behavior, orthodoxy to orthopraxy. You're not doing it to be saved, but because I am saved as an act of adoration and appreciation, God, I want to live my life for you. And if you need to be tested, if you want to be tested, how close am I to God? How am I walking with the Lord? Can I give you a challenge? I'm going to give you a challenge. You ready? Go up and drive through the main strip of Pigeon Forge this Christmas season. You will be tested in your faith. You will be stressed and stretched, I know, because if there's any place on the planet I struggle, that's one of the many, but that's one of them. I want a giant steel brush guard on the front of my truck to just bump the Floridians off the road. They do not take driver's ed there. I know, we lived there. And if you're from Florida and you're offended, get over it, my child. Okay. How do we know? One of the questions one of the youth asked in our conference last week, how can we know? What is the difference between biblical Christianity, what you're talking about, pastors, what's the difference there and every other religion? Because they're raised in a very pluralistic uh, society, of course. Hinduism says, oh, you could add Jesus to the group. We got millions of gods. We got this elephant god and this monkey god and this lady with a lot of arms. We got all of these. Sure, Jesus sounds fine. Bring him in. But Jesus is not one amongst millions. Jesus is one in a million. Jesus is the only true and living God. And so to teach our Indian friends, we must say the exclusivity of Christ is key. And so we explain to the student, do versus done. Everything else, particularly in the Hindu faith, or I sat on the plane with a Hare Krishna observer who kept offering his food to Krishna before he would eat on the plane. And so without being offensive, I tried to say, has he ever taken you up on that? And the answer, of course, is uh, no. Because the Bible says you take a piece of wood, and with this half, you carve an idol out of your own image. 
And with this half, you burn, you burn it and you warm yourself by the fire. And the Bible concludes, how foolish is that? And yet millions of people around the world are doing something to be right with the gods or with God, little g. And yet biblical Christianity is not due. Biblical Christianity is done. Jesus paid the price. You and I, separated from God by our own sin. Jesus, the Lamb of God, came, lived a perfect life, tried like we are tried, yet never fell into sin, willingly laid his life down, paid the price, which is death, was buried in a borrowed tomb, by the power of God, raised the third day, ascending to the right hand of God the Father, where he sat down because he finished the work he came to do. And if you will express faith in that, the finished work of Jesus, that will connect you to God the Father. You will not drift away. You will be kept in the Father's hands. You will stand before him and see him one day face to face. By faith, we receive righteousness and salvation. That's the last truth, and it's very quick. We receive it. You see, Noah was divinely warned, and today I'm warning you. I'm warning you, apart from Jesus, you'll not even see the kingdom of God. Jesus told religious Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. I'll call him back. And you see, folks, what you need to understand, if you didn't hear that, somebody's ringing over there. You can take it. It's okay. We'll wait. Okay. So (laughs) here's the thing. Noah spent many, many years fulfilling God's command to build that massive art. He had a godly fear of reverence for God. I don't believe it had even rained on the earth yet as we know rain. It certainly had not flooded. The Bible says that he was divinely warned of things not yet seen, but he prepared. What I'm asking you to do today is you're not going to make yourself saved. God gave him the instructions. God enabled him to build. God brought the animals. God preserved his family. God opened the door. God closed the door. In fact, the Bible says that. God closed the door. God brought the rain down and the flood up. God saved Noah and his family. And because he preached that and taught, you must be saved. Come in, come in. But the world said, no, thank you. The Bible says they were condemned. Noah was trying to be a preacher of righteousness, and yet the world was condemned. What we find is just like old Noah, there is one ark, there is one door, there is one way, and his name is Jesus Christ. And by faith in him and obedience to God, once we are part of the family, we show this world that they can have hope that there is something beyond this, that even if my friend and fellow pastor was burnt alive to live as Christ, to die as gain. And he recognized that even if enduring the shame and the pain, he closed his eyes on this earth, my friend realized he would open his eyes to see the face of the one who died for him. And there's something marvelous about that truth. By faith, we obtain a good testimony. By faith, we understand creation in time. By faith, we please God. By faith, we receive, not earn, not deserve. We receive righteousness and salvation. Speaking of receiving, you guys see the store. Some of y'all probably have some Christmas lights going up. Some of y'all, I started listening to Christmas music last week, man. I'm in a holly jolly spirit. 
I'm going to go down through Pigeon Forge later and blare it's the most wonderful time of the year on the radio with the windows down. So it's not too early to think about a gift. And here's the thing. is salvation of God, you better believe it. He elects you, chooses you, predestines you. From A to Z, salvation is of God. If you're saved, it's because God called you to salvation. There is no doubt about such things biblically. However... I'm not so Calvinistic to believe, nor do I consider myself Calvinistic at all, but I'm not so reformed as to believe that you don't have the God-given ability to act on free will or the power of moral choice. And I do believe there's plenty of biblical evidence to say man receives or at times, like the rich young ruler, even rejects or the second thief on the cross rejects the offer of God. And so this is what I close with. You have a gift placed before you today. It is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he died in your place and took your punishment. You can choose to walk out the door. You're still gonna walk out by faith. You're still gonna have faith. You're gonna have faith in the scientists, the intellectuals, I use that word lightly. You're gonna have your faith in humanity or human ingenuity or you're gonna have your faith in the divine, one beyond you, one whose authority and power are so much greater. But you're gonna have faith. And so what I wanna ask you to do if you've never done this today is I want you to receive God's gift. I want you to receive. You say, how do I receive? It's simple, it rhymes, believe. I want you to believe today. And in believing, in trusting in what Jesus Christ has done, there's something that God offers you. The first thing he offers you is his righteousness. It's a big biblical word we just looked at. It just means R-I-G-H-T, how to be right with God. Don't get hung up in the second half of the word. It means how can I be right with God? with God. I know I still slip. I fall. I stumble in many ways. I'm a sinner. I have a war going on within me, as Paul said, and I don't do what I ought to do, but I do what I ought not to do. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? If you're a Christian, do you still struggle sometimes? Christian, do you? Well, all of y'all that didn't answer, you're a bunch of lying hypocrites. Now get right. Look, do we all struggle? Yes. We all still stumble and struggle, and it's hard, man. Because this flesh wars, it's carnal and it wars against the spirit of the living God. But we choose to walk by flesh or walk by the spirit, but God says, take my gift, I'll impute to you, I'll give you my righteousness. You don't earn it, you don't deserve it, but I'll give it to you. So when you stand before God, you will be right with God. That's a gift, you can't get that on your own. God wants to give you that. The second thing God wants to give you is this. Now, you know what this is. He wants to deliver you from the power of darkness, from sin and Satan and a horrible place called hell. He wants to save you. You say, well, I didn't know I needed saving. I'm telling you, you do. I'm telling you, you're apart from God in your sin and you cannot save yourself on the authority of the word of God because I choose by faith divine revelation. And God says, you must trust in Christ to be saved, to be delivered, to be free. As we celebrate Veterans Day this coming week and had a beautiful program in here this weekend, this past week, folks, those men and women that sat here and filled this place sacrificed. You have one who sacrificed not only for our nation, but for the world, that we might be saved. And you say, but how can you be so confident? 
How can you be so sure that this gift will give me righteousness and salvation? Because my Savior said something. My Savior said this on the cross. My Lord, my Savior Jesus made a cry, a victor's, a victor's cry. You know what this word is, right? He said, it is finished, paid in Full, tetelestai, what is finished, Jesus? All things according to the scripture, if you know the context. Everything God said about me, I have done. I have paid the price. I have gone all the way. I have taken their death, and in its place, I have given them my life. I have taken their wickedness, and in its place, I've given them my righteousness. God, they can be right with you now because it's paid in full, and it is finished. If you will simply come. I opened the box years ago because God drew me to himself and God gave me the faith because even faith is a gift. He allowed me to open the box. But now the question is, will you open it by faith? Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.